0: Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this mini-podcast of Joanna and the Maestro. Mini-Joanna and mini-Maestro. We might even speak in small little squeaky voices. It just means that these are going to be much shorter. A little bit shorter, Stevie. We are talking about questions which people have kindly sent in, which is one question is for me. Joanna, what was your favourite part of the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla? Well... It's it's almost impossible to put your finger on it. I think one of the great things that I loved so much was when the king and the queen entered the great abbey, and the choir started singing. It seemed unaccompanied. I was glad. Is it unaccompanied to begin with? The voices, and then they're joined. No, there's dead. a huge, huge fanfare. Yeah,
1: which I gather was added later. There's a huge fanfare, trumpets, and full orchestra and organ. Ah. Uh. Which lasts for thirty seconds. Wonderful, very rousing yeah. to get you up on your feet. And then the choir sings, "I was glad," and then the orchestra comes
0: in. Bang! Glad when they said, "I love that." And then during that particular piece, they sang, "Vivat the children of the choirs." Yes. Shouted out, "Vivat, vivat," which means "long live." And They which said, "Vivat the, Regina," which Camilla, is which is long rewritten.
1: Live. On every occasion of, of a course, coronation. Of course,
0: for whoever it is. So this was <clears throat> Regina Camilla and Rex Carolus, King Charles. That's
1: right. Now, the thing about I was glad, Laetatus Sum is the Latin name for the text, and it goes back to, wait for it, Charles I. It was first used back, well, it might have been used before then, but back in the day, Henry Purcell wrote a version for a later coronation, Thomas Atwood wrote a version and William Boyce wrote a version. And of Sum is, is a psalm. And the whole point about it is that in the middle of it, it says, oh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And you, you just remember that there is a connection here because of the story that either Joseph of Arimathea or... Christ himself trod the green grass of England. And so the psalm is used, first of all, about entering the Abbey. I was glad when I came to the house of the Lord. And it's making the connection between the holy city of Jerusalem. Mm. And so that has been a traditional text at every coronation since then. Mm. And Hubert Parry's version has a special place in in the king's heart because you'd remember that he made a film with John Bridcutt, I think, about Hubert Parry's life. That was the king's own suggestion. Yes. Because Parry wrote lots of symphonies. He wrote a pile of music, but he was alive at the same time as Edward Elgar. Edward Elgar was slightly younger, and so he was a little bit superseded by Elgar, but he's a wonderful composer, who wrote Zadok the priest? it comes from the Bible, the Old Testament and the text of that is Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon King and then it goes on and all the people rejoiced and sang God save the king, God save the king yeah so that text was first used as about 900 AD. So that's been a text that's always been associated too with our coronations and it's been used through the centuries. But not
0: to this music.
1: No, that was written for George II. By Handel. By Handel, who, not satisfied with just writing one coronation anthem, actually wrote four.
0: And the actual Zadok the priest, which is that great shout when the choir comes in, which is spellbinding, they did it so beautifully, it was actually the moment that the king was being anointed behind the screens, and it was unbearably moving because the whole sense of history within that abbey, thinking of people who almost come out, well, come out of history books, William the Conqueror was crowned in Westminster Abbey. It's 1,000 years, to, over 1,000 a a thousand years. 1,000 years, of, all the monarchs being crowned there, being crowned yes. there, it all seemed to kind of close in, and all those seemingly weird things that arrived on cushions, gauntlets and and um, you know, small spurs and things like this, swords of destiny, extraordinary things. You realise that the whole of history sort of is opening its fingers and arms and stretching forward from then until now, unchanged mm. and unbroken. I think that was, woo, I could feel tears gushing out at that point. I adored that bit.
1: And this, of course, was when, you had the orchestra up in the organ loft who couldn't see the choir mm. and Tony Papano conducting with a TV screen showing Andrew Nethsinger conducting downstairs in the choir, conducting the massed choirs. So they were conducting in tandem. Now, I cannot tell you how tricky that is to do, to make it all work. And it worked like clockwork. It was beautiful. So they both had monitors and they were both, you know, synchronising with each other.
0: The effect was
1: overwhelming.
0: Have certain royals favoured certain composers?
1: Well, yes. Queen Victoria was very impressed with Felix Mendelssohn Yeah. when Mendelssohn visited England. And Mendelssohn was becoming a very popular composer in, in this country, writing oratorios in English, as did Handel. So you could say, actually, now that we mention Handel, that the Georgian kings were very fond of Handel because he wrote the fireworks, he wrote the water music for royal celebrations. And then, of course, our king, who learnt the cello when he was younger. You know, this is a very musical man. He understands music. And I think he was the patron of the Philharmonia Orchestra. And he has particular composers that he really likes. And he has supported. In fact, we we talked about this. He supported the music of Hubert Parry.
0: Yes, but he and he's always had a royal harpist. I love that because quite often at occasions the royal harpist will be there. That's right. Um, And uh, and the harpist was playing here, slightly overwhelmed by the positioning because I think she was up on that sort of transept which goes across the choir. You know, that right up in the organ loft she was somewhere up there, and that was quite hard. But it was thrilling to have that. Great golden harp being played as well. Yes. I love the King for loving music. I must say it's, mm. it's, it's terribly exciting to know that we're sort of not in safe hands because it isn't, but we're in, in safe the safe body of encouragement and warmth.
1: He believes in the vast breadths of different cultures, doesn't he? And I know that one of your favourite moments was towards the end of the service.
0: Yes, this was something quite extraordinary because we'd had a lot of rumblings and rustlings in the paper that King Charles wanted to be defender of faiths in general. But of course, because it's a Christian ceremony and it's all written down, it was carefully reworded so that he did embrace them. But at the very end, a particularly interesting, tiny and unrecorded piece happened at the great west doors and the king and queen had been crowned and he was about to go out into the world in his crown and the golden coach and through the crowds. All the heads of faith had progressed down through the main body of the abbey and were waiting, lined up there. And, of course, there were Oroastrians, Jains, there were Sunni, Shia leaders, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish. And now the chief rabbi was there. And because the ceremony was on a Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath, he was not being a very strict Jew. He was not allowed to, to use any mechanical things. Like So he walked, for instance, the abbey from... St. James's Palace, where he'd spent the night, and his voice could not, or anything he did, could not be recorded on a microphone. So as the king came to the Great West, Door, he was greeted by faith leaders and representatives who say, "'Your Majesty, as neighbours in faith, we acknowledge the value of public service. We unite with people of all faiths and beliefs in thanksgiving and in service with you for the common good.'" Now, this was specially Brilliant. written for this. Brilliant. It was not recorded. People saw him stopping and apparently something going on. The reason why it wasn't recorded was because it wasn't allowed to be recorded on any kind of you know, microphone or things like this. Brilliant. So this moment when the king just bowed his head and they all bowed graciously. Leaders of all these faiths, it was terribly moving. Stunning. I loved that. Could you whistle for me the Earl of Oxford's march by William Byrd? <laughs> well, I just wondered... <laughs> You seem to have so much in your repertoire. <laughs> I'm afraid that one escapes me. Because we had the pomp and circumstance march as they were going out. As the whole thing began to disappear from the Abbey onto the next part of the coronation, which is to go through the crowds in those great golden coaches and things, the people left behind, which was mm. us, all saying, wasn't that fantastic, and and handing each other cough sweets and and rustling about and picking up our bags and... The music was pomp and circumstance march from the birds by Hubert Parry. Yep. Then there's a choral fantasia on the old hundredth which was Parry again. This would all be King Charles. Is it Parry or Vaughan Williams? I'm sorry, it's Parry. No, Parry.
1: I right.
0: I felt it was Parry. <laughs> I think you'll find I'm right. No, which, honestly, it which was Parry. Pomp Look, it and circumstance
1: it. was it. Now here's something which pomp and circumstance March it? number 4. Number 4. You see. You see everyone knows the land of hope and glory Which but is they which one did one is not that? land of hope number 1. Oh. In D, but number four is in G. I knew that. Of course it did. And it takes flight, whereas number one is very much in your face and powerful. So I thought that was a really good choice.
0: And then at the end also, which is a part of music that is not often sung about enough, the great, bells of the abbey were rung Mm. and there were bell ringers all over the country and I visited two weekends ago a little church down in the Romney Marsh, one of the historic churches on the Romney Marsh, where they rang the bells on the, on the coronation day. Bell ringers all around the country. But this is a very musical thing. It's not just pulling at a string because the bells have their notes and they have to come in order and you have different... Is it different chimes that they play? Is that what it's called? Or rounds or what's it rounds. called? Rounds. Rounds, thank you. To give that
1: look. Rounds is... Look,
0: it's unpleasant. It's unnecessary. No, necessary. The,
1: it's the music they play. Yeah. And then they alter as they go through. But honestly, if you, if you watch bell ringers... With, with the real bells and the bell pulls, there is such a skill, yeah. not only to actually gauging the weight of the bell that you have, but also when it's going to strike. Now, if you think about it, the rope can be anything up to 60 feet long, and sometimes they're as thick as a, a man's wrist, so you have to do it with two hands. But to actually gauge when the bell will ring, and then they have signs when they're going to t- turn into a different round, into a different order. So you might have bing, bang, bang, bing, bang, 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 ding, dong, ding. And then when you change around, it can go dum, dim, dum, bam, bam, beam, bam, bam. And when they change that, I mean, God knows what they're thinking. I I, I
0: don't know how you even stop because when the great bell rope goes up, I don't know how you stop. When do? You, how can you not make it ring again? And of course, you're pulling before the before the note. Yes, So it's exactly. it's a fantastically it's something <laughs> we should all be doing. Have you ever have you ever
1: done it? Have you ever pulled no, a bell? No, no, I think I'd have a pink fit. You know, but you, um, uh, how does this work? Everybody <laughs> explain it to me.
0: <laughs> what was your favourite part of the coronation? Can you just tell me just briefly what bit of it, if you can, pick out one tiny bit.
1: The moment I was most overwhelmed was um, the very beginning of the service when the trumpets rang out. Because um, one knows it so well, but it's that thing of music composed for a specific occasion. And when this specific occasion comes on you and a piece of music you know really well just fits like a glove... And the text is so precise. And then the Westminster Scholars singing vivat, vivat. It's hardly singing. It's kind of yelling in tune. If um, King Charles
0: had come to you and said, "Would you compose me something?" What would you have? What text would you have used? Would you have used my text, which you still haven't how set long to do music, you think they've been which is Jacob Astley's prayer? I've got it. Lord, I shall be very busy this day. I may forget you, but do not thou forget me. I've asked you to set this to music over a period of about 23 years.
1: I feel you've just got a commitment out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Finally.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Joanna and the Maestro.